MSW Media. Thanks to Tomboy X for supporting the Daily Beans. Tomboy X makes brazenly unapologetic underwear for all bodies, all shapes, all genders, and all sizes. Really, all sizes. Discover your inner tomboy and let us get you started with our special discount. Go to TomboyX.com and enter code DAILYBEANS to get an extra 20% off. And thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. Today, Donald has filed a motion with the Supreme Court to vacate the stay issued by the 11th Circuit in the Mar-a-Lago case. Pro-life Herschel Walker paid for a woman to get an abortion in 2009. Ron Johnson admits to texting a Trump attorney during January 6th. A new recording played at the Oath Keepers seditious conspiracy trial outlines planning to overthrow the government. And a Trump lawyer refused to certify to the National Archives that Donald had returned all the presidential records he stole. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Happy Wednesday. You too. I feel like we have a whole episode of like schadenfreude. Like, I feel like there's so much in here. It's awesome. It's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of news today. And uh, a lot of it is good and interesting and schadenfreude-y. Also out today is an episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's me and Pete Struck because Andrew is on vacation in Italy. Must be nice. It must be. Yeah, we, we discussed some of the DOJ filings there. I'll be talking later in this show with Malcolm Kenyatta. And tomorrow we have Mike Fanone. And Friday we have the author of Hashtag AltGov, Amanda Sturgill. And on Monday, I have nearly an hour-long interview with Michael Cohen about his forthcoming book, Patrons will get unedited video of the Cohen and Fanon interviews. And I'll be having a meetup in Cleveland Saturday for cocktails and mocktails with patrons. You can become a patron. Yeah, I I love Cleveland. It's such a cool town. I was born near there. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash the daily beans and you'll get all that bonus content and access. It's just 36 bucks a year. And holy shit. The Herschel Walker drama. I'm just so glad one of these actually came to light because, you know, there's lots more of them. (laughs) Yeah. And and basically what happened is the Daily Beast reported he paid for an abortion in September of 2009. And the reporter, Sullenberger, has receipts like the check, the canceled (laughs) check for $700 that Herschel Walker sent this woman. They corroborated the story with other people that know the woman. They have the bank deposit, you know, sheets and like they have all a card, a get well card he sent her and signed. And it's it's oh, my goodness signature. Now, he denies it all. And um, but his his son, Christian Walker, you know, the outspoken, uncanceled, you know, trying to be a online celebrity son of his may or may not be family. I'm not (laughs) saying postulating on it. Went on a tirade after this news came out, you know, telling saying his dad lied and held a gun to his mom's head and he's a piece of shit and he's out there trying to say, you know, Christian family values when he had four kids by four women and, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I'm tired of people coming after me and my mom. He he went off. I mean, I don't I don't like the kid. I don't think he's a hero or anything. But like, you know, sometimes sometimes people have those authentic like aha moments of clarity. 
There's, and, there's a know, breaking point for everyone. There's yeah. a breaking point. There's too much for everyone. Yeah. And I, I do hope, you know, regardless of how I did many things I disagree with him about, that he breaks that cycle of abuse. But uh, he's he's going off. So it's very interesting. And I don't think it's going to really impact the base of people who were going to vote for this guy anyway, if nothing else did, you know, up to this point. But we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. All right. We do have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. From The Washington Post, former President Donald Trump's lawyers asked the Supreme Court on Tuesday to intervene in the Mar-a-Lago document seizure case, saying the special master appointed in the matter should be allowed to review the classified documents. The filing came after the unanimous three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit granted the DOJ's request to keep those 100 classified documents separate from a review of documents being conducted by the special master. The department has launched a high-stakes investigation to determine if the former president or his advisors mishandled national security secrets or hid or destroyed government records. And, you know, I have to say, you know, there's some interesting stuff in, in a court filing that was unsealed about they found like call logs. I think I think we talked about this yesterday for a minute. Yeah, we did. I really honestly think that he stole that shit and hid it at Mar-a-Lago so that the National Archives couldn't give it over to the De- Department of Justice or the January 6th committee. I think it's weird. But I'm going to read a thread by con law expert and law professor Steve Vladek about this motion that was filed today by the Trump lawyers, Halligan, Trusty, Corcoran, and Kai's. And I want to make it clear that this is an emergency request to vacate the stay. And they waited two weeks to file it. So (laughs) it doesn't seem that sort of defeats the argument that the failure to provide relief would irreparably harm Donald or that it's urgent in any way. But check out what Steve Vladek says. He says, having fully digested Trump's emergency application to SCOTUS, here's a quick thread on what he's really asking for, why it's not entirely laughable. And why I nevertheless think it's both one, doomed to fail, and two, unlikely to accomplish much, even if it succeeds. In short, Trump is asking the Supreme Court to vacate part of the 11th Circuit stay in the Mar-a-Lago case. In essence, he's arguing that the 100 100 or so classified documents at issue should be part of the pile before Judge Deary, and that under the 11th Circuit stay, they're not. Critically, he is not arguing that the 11th Circuit was wrong to stay that part of Cannon's order that enjoined the Department of Justice from using those documents. So the relief he's seeking would not stop DOJ from continuing to do whatever it's doing. It would just also add to the Deary mess. That's it. So to get there, the brief tries to thread a very fine needle, Steve Vladek says, arguing that although the injunction was properly before the 11th Circuit, the rest of the order was not. So Deary should not be affected. This gets into the messy doctrine of pendant appellate jurisdiction. Short course on pendant jurisdiction for you. At pre-final interlocutory stages of litigation, appeals are generally disfavored, limited to specific issues rather than a whole case. The question is whether the rest of Cannon's order is intertwined with the injunction or not. Personally, I think DOJ has a very good argument that these issues are pendant, and so the 11th Circuit had the ability to do everything that it did in staying Judge Cannon's order. If that's correct, then Trump's argument for emergency relief fails on the quote-unquote merits. But, he says, emergency relief is supposed to be about more than the merits. To vacate a lower court stay, Trump also has to show the stay is causing him irreparable harm, harm that justifies the Supreme Court's emergency intervention rather than waiting for a later plenary appeal. And this is what's most 
conspicuously absent from Trump's application. Any argument about how the stay by itself is harming Trump in a way that can't be ameliorated later. Without meeting that criteria, Trump can't make out the procedural case for the relief he's seeking. To be sure, SCOTUS in recent years hasn't always been consistent in its analysis of irreparable harm in ruling on emergency applications. But here it provides an easy and obvious off-ramp to dodge what is a non-frivolous dispute over pendant jurisdiction. So my best guess, he says, is that the court will deny the application, although some justices may write separately. And two last points on what to take away from this filing. First, what Trump is asking for is very modest. Even if he wins, it will not stop the Department of Justice from doing anything. Second, this is what good lawyers who are stuck to do to appease bad clients. The jurisdictional (laughs) argument is narrow, technical, and non-frivolous. It's a way of filing something to the Supreme Court without going all the way to crazy town or acting unethically. That point reinforces the big takeaway. This is a very specific and narrow request by Trump, the merits of which turn on a technical jurisdictional question, but which runs into fatal procedural obstacles long before that. It's not laughable, but only because it's small. And then he writes a coda. He says, yes, this filing does go to Justice Thomas because he is the circuit justice over the 11th Circuit. But for as cynical as I know many people have become, I don't see a universe in which he grants it by himself rather than allowing the full court to resolve it. And even if he does, the full court can overrule him. I would also think, and I know I'm sure that I'm going to be wrong and people are laughing. There's so much of a spotlight on him right now because of Ginny. I would be shocked if he stepped out again and did something that looked like it was very politically driven. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of the experts and pundits on TV are saying, look, this gives the chance, you know, for SCOTUS to try to look legitimate for a minute in the face of all the bullshit they're doing. And and Dana, this just in, by the way, Justice Thomas has replied. He has given the Department of Justice until next week to respond Tuesday. That's a whole week. And that says to me and it says to other experts that he doesn't consider this an emergency either. He's like, "Um, it's an emergency. I'll give you seven days. Okay, All right. Next story. Federal prosecutors played audio recording. We've talked about this and it seems to get funnier to me. Audio recording in the court on Tuesday of an alleged November 2020 Oath Keepers planning meeting that discussed plans to bring weapons to Washington, D.C. and prepare to fight on behalf of the former president. The meeting lasted about two hours, was secretly recorded by an attendee, FBI agent Michael Palian. Yeah, (laughs) told jurors during the second day of the trial a far-right militia Oath Keepers leader on seditious conspiracy charges. The attendee, Palian said, sent a tip to the FBI later that month that was not contacted by agents. Huh. They then resubmitted the tip. He was like, hey, hello, hello. I have something illegal, hello. On March 2021, was interviewed with agents and gave them the recording. The recording, which is primarily of Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes, Man, he doesn't really get this, does he? Is the first major piece of evidence that prosecutors have used to establish a plan by the far-right group to allegedly descend on Washington and oppose the transfer of power. And this is a quote. We're not getting out of this without a fight. There's going to be a fight. That's Rhodes on recording that was played in court. And he went on to say, but let's just do it smart. And let's do it while President Trump is still commander-in-chief. Well, Rhodes repeatedly said that people should put pressure on Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act and that the Oath Keepers would be, quote, awaiting the president's orders. And we already told you what would happen if they invoked that. If Trump invoked that, they were ready to go armed. And this is another quote. If the fight comes, let the fight come. 
let Antifa go. If they go kinetic on us, then we'll go kinetic back on them. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for that. Again, this is Rhodes. He went on to say, if things go kinetic, good. If they blow bombs up and shoot us, great, because that brings the president reason and rationale to invoke the Insurrection Act. He continued to say, so our mission is going to be to go into D.C., but I do want some Oath Keepers to stay on the outside and to stay fully armed and prepared to go in if they have to. So if this shit kicks off, then you rock and roll. Two other defendants, yeah, two other defendants, (laughs) two other defendants, Jessica Watkins and Kelly Meggs, are also on the recording discussing what weapons are legal to bring into the district. Hmm. Yeah. This is also a recording. Pepper spray is legal. Tasers are legal. And stun guns are legal. And it doesn't hurt to have a lead pipe with a flag on it. This is Megs. CNN national security analyst, Gary Cordero, said Congress should look at how the FBI handled the initial tip about the Oath Keepers tape. I agree. That the Oath Keepers recording went uninvestigated by the FBI until after January 6th is, quote, an additional piece of information that congressional investigators in particular on the January 6th committee and the other Homeland Security Committee should be looking at to determine whether or not FBI and other law enforcement organizations were doing enough on the prevention side. Side note, they were not. Yeah, no shit, right? Like, what the fuck, Chris Ray? They went to him before January 6th with this recording about them wanting to attack the Capitol and commit seditious conspiracy, and the FBI never reached out. And it yeah. wasn't until after the insurrection that the FBI's like, oh, maybe we should have a listen. All right. Up next is a story we briefly touched on yesterday at the end of the show. Former President Trump asked one of his lawyers to tell the National Archives in early 2022, earlier this year, that Trump had returned all the materials requested by the agency. But that lawyer declined because he was not sure that statement was true. (laughs) As it turns out, thousands more government documents, including some highly classified secrets, remained at Trump's house in Florida. The later discovery of those documents through a May grand jury subpoena and the August 8th FBI search on the Florida property are at the heart of the criminal investigation of classified materials and the possible hiding, tampering or destruction of government records. Again, concealment 2071. I think he's hiding those fucking January 6th call records. I swear to God. Alex Cannon is the attorney. We've seen him, you know, be deposed on video in the January 6th hearings. An attorney for Trump, he had facilitated the January transfer of the 15 boxes from Mar-a-Lago to the National Archives after officials agitated for more than a year to get all original presidential records back, which they are required by law to do. Following months of stonewalling by Trump's representatives, archives officials threatened to get the Justice Department or Congress involved. Trump himself eventually packed those boxes himself that were returned in January, according to people familiar with the matter. That is a huge point of evidence. He packed those boxes himself. And also the only manual labor he did while he was in the White House for four fucking years. (laughs) Lifting some documents. Outside of a golf club. Yeah. Now, the former president seemed determined in February to declare all the material sought by the archives had been handed over a month after the 15 boxes were recovered. And that's according to the people who, like others, interviewed, spoke on the condition of anonymity. Around the same time, Washington Post reported the archives had retrieved documents from Mar-a-Lago Trump asked his team to release a statement that he had written, well, dictated, (laughs) he doesn't write. The statement said Trump had returned everything the archives had requested. Trump asked Cannon, this lawyer, to send a similar message to the archives officials. In addition, 
Trump told his aides that the documents in the boxes were newspaper clippings and not relevant to the archives, according to two people, and complained that the National Archives charged with tracking government records was being persnickety, persnickety about securing the materials from his Florida club. But Cannon, the lawyer, former Trump org lawyer who worked for the campaign and for Trump after the presidency, told Trump he could not tell the archives all the requested material had been returned. I can't do it. He told others he was not sure if other documents were still at the club and he'd be uncomfortable making such a claim. (laughs) That's according to people familiar. Other Trump advisors also told Cannon, don't make such a definitive statement to the archives. (laughs) That's according to people familiar with those discussions. The February 7th statement Trump dictated, the one that he, you know, wanted to go out. It was never released over concerns by some of his team that it was not accurate. Oh, my God. I love that. Finally, people are like, oh, maybe this one doesn't go public. Yeah. A different statement issued three days later said Trump had given boxes and materials to the archives in a friendly manner. (laughs) It did not say that all the materials were handed over. They know because it was he was fucking lying. (laughs) That's obstruction. On February 8th, according to people familiar with the matter, archives lawyer Gary Stern told colleagues that the National Archives had spoken with Cannon and that Cannon said he didn't know if there were more relevant documents in Trump's possession. Stern had been asking the Trump team to attest that all relevant documents had been returned and privately feared they had not. No one believed this and no one on Trump's side was willing to tell the archives that everything had been handed over and nobody at the archives would, would, would have believed it anyway. Now, months earlier in late 2021, when the archives was seeking the return of specific documents, Cannon, the lawyer, told the archives, lawyer, Stern, that there could be more documents in Trump's possession that he was transmitting to the agency, but he did not know one way or the other. Cannon also told Stern he was not sure whether all the documents, where they were located, or what the documents were. Now, according to an account given to Stern's colleagues, Stern also asked the Trump lawyer, Pat Philbin, whether that was a, that's the deputy to Patsy Baloney, <laughs> whether there were more documents. And Philbin declined through a spokesperson to comment for the article. Wise. A separate issue of concern to Cannon and others was whether any of the material in the return boxes might be classified. That was a concern. Cannon didn't have a security clearance and had not reviewed the boxes himself. He had told other aides not to review the boxes either, saying doing so could get them in trouble. Oh, geez. <laughs> he knew there was fucking classified shit in there, or at least there was a high, high chance there was. And what this sounds like to me is perhaps a lawyer or lawyers for Cannon are the source for this story. Cannon's a lawyer, but I think Cannon's lawyers are the source for this story. It's very common that once someone testifies to a federal grand jury, their lawyers like to go to the press to get their story out before it's tainted by the person they testified against, in this case, Donald Trump. And that's what I think happened here. But we don't know for sure. I'm just guessing. I like your beans, though. They're usually right. And the last story, Senator Russian Ron Johnson on Tuesday acknowledged he exchanged text messages with one of Donald Trump's attorneys before and after Johnson's staff attempted to deliver that package to then-Vice President Mike Pence on January 6th. Oh, so it was more than just two seconds that he participated. In oh, the yeah, just a little bit. He added that the House committee investigating the January 6th attack smeared him because it didn't publicize all the text messages between his and Pence's aides. Johnson, in response, <laughs> he only, they only... They only publicized the, the, the illegal ones, the guilty ones. Johnson, in response to questions from NBC News, said the entire episode lasted about an hour. Oh, I thought it was just two texts. OK. In reference to his ties to a fake elector scheme, he said he knew nothing about. 
He also said he didn't know the contents of the package. He said the attorney wanted to be delivered. Oh, yeah. I know. This is Johnson. You can't even call it participation. I I wrote a couple texts. Yeah. And and, and I'm sure they misrepresented his texts. You know, like they left out the one that said, P.S. I was only kidding. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, (laughs) sure, sure. Uh, Johnson had previously distanced himself from the scheme, telling a local TV station in August, my involvement in that attempt to deliver spanned the course of a couple seconds. There it is. The couple seconds is now like an hour. Yep. Whoopsie. <laughs> Johnson made the comments following a talk before the Rotary Club of Milwaukee, where Johnson was asked several questions about the 2020 election and the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Johnson's locked in a tight re-election fight with the state's Democratic Lieutenant Governor, Mandela Barnes. Johnson defended previous remarks he made about that attack being mostly peaceful. He's, he's only mostly dead, saying that he said the same of Black Lives Matter protests. In 2020. Oh, it was the same thing. Black like totally the same thing. Mm. Johnson said in each case he condemned violence if they grew out of those protests. Mm. Yeah, this is a quote. To call what happened on January 6th an armed insurrection, I just think it's inaccurate, he said. I'm sorry, that's not what an armed insurrection looks like. Really? It doesn't? Because you might want to listen to the Stuart Rhodes case. Yeah. How many has he been in? How many has he only kind of helped with? Oh, like- yeah. <laughs> Does he do a lot of these? All the armed insurrections in my days. This this was nothing compared to my armed insurrections. (laughs) Get off my lawn. (laughs) Johnson argued few weapons were confiscated, but protesters, quote, did teach us how you can use a flagpole. Fucker. On the elector scheme, Johnson said he communicated with Jim Troopas, Mm. a Wisconsin-based attorney who led legal efforts for Donald in a recount of the state's 2020 results, which they lost. What would you do if you got a text from the attorney for the president of the United States? Johnson said, you respond to it. I got a text from the president's lawyer asking if we could deliver something to vice president and if I could have a staff member handle it. Now, when asked if the senator knew what he was asked to deliver, he said, no, I had no idea. I turned, yeah, I turned it over to him, Johnson said, of his then new chief of staff. Next thing I knew, he's letting me know the vice president's not accepting anything. So I just texted back, no, we're not delivering it. End of story. Nothing happened. I had no idea there were even an alternate slate of electors. Well, Johnson said the January 6th committee didn't publicize all of the text between Pence and his aides, which he said indicated that Pence was expecting the package through the mail. Right. Of course, because that would have got there in time with everything they did to the post office. Okay. (laughs) Good morning. Now, according to text Johnson has previously made public, the Pence aide also said the vice president shouldn't receive any mail. That hadn't been screened. You know, shit. He also referenced comments to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel by panel chair Benny Thompson, who said Johnson's involvement wasn't, quote, a priority. Oh, goodness. So uh, no no uh, comment from the January 6th committee yeah. on these remarks. Um, but we do have a, a hearing coming up on October 13th. Should be interesting. And we'll be right back with Malcolm Kenyatta. Everybody stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone, it's AG. Let's talk about something I use literally every day. AG, Athletic Greens. It's called AG1. And I take it because I wanted more energy and an optimized immune system. And I wanted to consolidate the 20 or 30 bottles of pills and probiotics and superfoods I was taking and spending so much money on. With just one delicious scoop of AG1 by Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day. That special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, aging, everything. 
And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. And they're going to give you a, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs, which are so convenient, with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Athletic Greens helps me with my mental clarity and my alertness. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, which is why I take it with me when I travel. And for every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the United States. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every morning. That's it. It is such an easy habit to pick up. No need for those million different pills and supplements to take up space in your cabinet. And uh, to make it easy, like I said, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus those five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head to athleticgreens.com slash daily beans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash daily beans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Everybody, welcome back. I'm honored today to be joined by somebody I got to meet in person at the White House celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act. He represents Philadelphia County in the Pennsylvania State House. Please welcome Malcolm Kenyatta. Hi, Malcolm. I'm so excited to be with you. I'm so excited to talk to you. It was truly an honor to meet you and talk a little bit about the Inflation Reduction Act when we were at the White House. But I want to talk about right. some of the some of the legislation that you are really pushing in Pennsylvania, particularly, you know, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And can you talk a little bit about legislation you introduced called Phillips Law? Yeah. So I will I will tell you, this is um, when I talk about little Phil. It still is one of the hardest days I've had as a as a legislator. Um, you know, it was late at night, and I got a call on my cell phone to one of my uh, constituents who let me know that her grandson, little Phil, had died by suicide. Phil was being relentlessly bullied um, at school. Him and his little brother, who he often tried to take a lot of the the brunt of the you know verbal you know uh, attacks that would come. And, you know, he was him and his brother being attacked, you know, for their weight and for their looks and um, for being perceived as gay. And Phil was trying to get in touch with a mental health professional in his school and was not able to. One Friday, she was dealing with another crisis another student was having. And Phil got on the bus and, you know, went home and died by suicide. And every time I think about that, that. A kid as young as Phil felt so desperate, so beaten down, so bullied that they would be in a position and not want to be with us anymore, says that we have to do a lot more to protect our kids. And it gets me so frustrated that these people who claim to care about kids and their safety, who claim to care so much about parents' rights, are engaged in pushing legislation and pushing out from their huge platforms, you know, as elected officials and others, things that we know make kids less safe and put them in positions where their mental health, their levels of anxiety, and them making that, uh, being in a position like little Phil to feel desperate and alone in these anti-trans bills and these comments from people from DeSantis to Abbott, on and on and on. These have real impacts, particularly on young people. Mm -hmm. And it's not just kids. I mean, did you see the recent story where there were some Trump supporters who called in to clog and block the veterans suicide hotline because yes, they yes. you know, wanted to reinstate health benefits to veterans who attacked the Capitol, who were part of the insurrection? 
it's just the the cruelty is so often the point. And I know you talk about that a lot, right. especially when we talk about building a future where where trans and non-binary kids are safe, especially with all of these laws coming down the pike from Republicans who want to mm. make it worse for these kids. And I know you had a conversation with Elizabeth McLaughlin, host of Living Through It, about some of these issues. Can you talk a little bit about what you spoke with? Not too much. I really want to encourage everybody to listen to that interview. Again, the show's <laughs> they, called they Living should. Through It. But talk a little bit about how we can block these bills, go forward and, and, and pass our own legislation to ensure the safety of these kids. Absolutely. So let me put a bow really quick on the Phillips Law piece just to say that what this would do is to is to make sure we have mental health professionals in all of our schools, right? Because as I mentioned, Phil was trying to talk to somebody, but there was one person for hundreds of students. And so even at the top of their game, my dad was a, was a, was a social worker, and I will remember how many cases he would have that it was impossible for him to get through every case, to talk to every family every day. It was just, you know, physically, logistically impossible. And so we have to expand um, opportunities for people who want to go into these fields. We have to do things to make them attractive fields. That means paying people appropriately, helping with student loans, all those different things to make sure that when there is a student in crisis, that they can get the support that they need. So I just did want to put a bow on that for people who are like, but he didn't explain the bills. I just wanted to explain the bills. Yeah. So that's what I would do. <laughs> and I think like something like a job corps program where, you know, if you come out, go to school to to be a licensed clinical social worker or work on these things that and then you work for public service for a couple of years to mm-hmm. pay. To, I mean, I think college should be free for everybody. But, here, here. you know, we, we start with some sort of a job corps or, you know, I've, I, I was trying when I worked at the VA to put in place a thing where veterans who were looking for jobs could take up jobs in, you know, kind of clinical settings that we have a huge shortage mm-hmm. of of professionals in and you know hey work work for the va for a couple of years you'll go to school for free and then you're you're free to go be a orthopedic whatever wherever you know wherever you want you know, and it's, and really it's such and it's such cool. for, you know such rewarding work and i do think that that's a great segue back to your question about about elizabeth you know in that work i'm sure you you got to to meet people and engage with people who give you that contagious courage that helps you keep going. And that's a part of what we, what we talked about. You know, how do we keep going in these un, uncertain times? You know, how do we surround ourselves with people who inspire us to do, you know, just that? And um, it was a really exciting conversation. And so I'm so happy that, um, you know, that everybody's going to get to hear it. So many of your listeners, I hope they go over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, that's called Living Through It, the name of her podcast. And let's talk a little bit about like you, you touched on it briefly, burnout, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. just I, I, over and over, I post about, oh, Trump filed this and then the DOJ filed this and then they want to do this. And everyone's like, look, it's just been forever <laughs> or with, you know, with regards to not just justice, but the upcoming midterms. I think we have a lot of momentum going into the midterms, but sometimes that momentum can be hard to find. What do you say to folks who seem to be losing faith and losing hope a little bit? You know, hope and courage are renewable resources. And, you know, when we think about this, this, this race in this moment, as serious as it is, it is important that we all take breaks, right? That we understand the, there's this great book out that says, you know, rest is resistance. Mm-hmm. And when you recognize that you don't have to do it all yourself and that when, you know, maybe you're out registering voters, right? Or you're writing posts 
cards and sometimes your hand cramps up and you need to take a break. But there's somebody else who is helping, who's a part of this continuum of people who are trying to preserve and expand, um, you know, our, our democracy and make sure that when we talk about freedom and justice and fairness, that it's actually real for folks. We have to find our little part of the world and do what we can in our corner of the world and recognize the cumulative impact of all of us doing just that. Because when the issues are this big, it's so easy for people to feel like they have to be the straw that broke the camel's back. And the reality is when you even think about that metaphor for a second, for (laughs) there to be a straw that broke the back, that means that there had to be a lot of other straws that didn't get stories written about them. (laughs) Right. Right. You loosen the pickle jar. Help. That's Help right. loosen the pickle jar. That's all you got to do. That's it. And what are some uh, little things people can do? I have found that if I, you know, I spend a half hour text banking or if I uh, write some postcards or, you know, share a link, do something as simple as sharing a link mm-hmm. for raising funds for midterms. I feel like it comes back to me tenfold. I feel like it renews me. It's like a little bit of effort for a lot of return. How, what, what are some of the things that you found kind of have that have that sort of... Uh, way about it. Yeah, I I think that that's exactly right. I would say two things. Having small conversations with the people who look up to you. And I think that that's a great exercise to do in and of itself, thinking about people who look up to you, because it's so easy to think that, you know, unless you have a huge social media following, or unless you are, you know, a, a faith leader or an elected official, that you don't have a sphere of influence. And turns out we all have spheres of influence and they can be bigger than you think. Anybody who's listening who's a parent, you know full well that your kids will sometimes learn things just from watching you, right? It's not the lessons all the time maybe that you want them to learn or they'll watch other adults in their lives and you didn't have to sit them down and give them the lesson, right? They were just paying attention. And so there are people who are paying attention to you who you might not think are paying attention to you. And so I think doing that exercise recognizing who your sphere of influence is, and then making sure you do the work within that sphere of influence is huge. All of us have a, you know, maybe not all of us have a cousin, right? Depending on how big your family is, but all of us have somebody, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's, you know, somebody you knew from college who doesn't think about politics as much as you do, who like aren't engaged, who kind of put their fingers in their ears and try to tune it out, but they're not going to tune you out because they trust you. And so making sure that those folks in your phone and your contact list, your favorites, is everybody in your favorites registered to vote? Are they, did they make a plan yet? Okay, because I can tell you elections can be close. In my first election, I had these people who put out, and this is a Democratic primary, by the way, but on on the day before my election, I had these people put out these awful homophobic flyers about me. People can Google and see them, right? They put out these awful flyers. Turns out, as you might imagine, I won the election. But the next day, I'm like walking my dog. I'm hungover, right, from the night before. (laughs) I'm walking my dog and I see one of my neighbors and I'm like, please don't talk to me, right? Like, I feel awful, right? I'm just trying to walk the dog. But she caught me and she said, Malcolm, I just, did you see these flyers? And I was like, I promise you, like I saw the flyers, right? Mm -hmm. But she said, I just want you to know I was so upset that I went and got three more people to vote who weren't going to vote. I ended up winning that ward on election night by one vote, by one vote. And so it's just a reminder that this 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 woman who is not a, you know, public facing leader had influence on people. And at least in that one ward, it made all the difference. 
Yeah. And and your vote does count. Everyone's vote counts. If it didn't, the opposing side wouldn't be spending billions of dollars to try to convince you <laughs> that your vote didn't count. That's right. And I love what you bring up because that's a that's one of the strengths we have as Democrats and progressives is we know that there are people better than us and we know that there are people that we can influence as well. And we're, there's always going to be somebody that you look up to and somebody who looks up to you. I, I don't think MAGAs have that gene because they always think if they lose, it has to be because somebody cheated or they just can't visualize that somebody might be better at something than they are and like respect that. I remember there was two girls in Utah who lost some sort of a sports meet to one girl and questioned her gender over it and and demanded that, you know, and it's I just feel like that's just one of our great strengths is that we have a little bit of humility, but we also know that we have a sphere of influence. And I thank you for pointing that out. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's been really great to talk to you. I can't wait for everyone to hear your interview. It's out now. The podcast is called Living Through It. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. I think you have an incredible political future ahead of you. And I appreciate your time today, everybody. Malcolm Kenyatta. Let me say thank you to you one more time for using your platform the way that you do to keep us all informed about critical things that are going on. And so I hope that you are always taking care of yourself and just that, that you know your work is not in vain. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Honestly, I absolutely love doing this. So we will talk again soon, my friend. Have a great rest of your week. You're the best. Take care. Bye. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everyone. It's Allison. Sometimes it seems impossible to find the perfect pair of underwear. It doesn't matter where I would shop or how much I would spend. Nothing looked close to right on my body. It's like nobody ever took the time to design authentic underwear for strong, independent ladies like me. Well, Tomboy X has done it. They created underwear that makes me feel like, yeah, this underwear doesn't just fit me. It gets me. Tomboy X has been making brazenly unapologetic underwear for all bodies, all shapes, all genders, and all sizes since 2014. From boxer briefs to bikinis, boy shorts to bras, every pair of Tomboy X is created to fit you and how you see yourself, and they've expanded beyond underwear as well. Each product is built on values of quality and fit and inclusivity. They pay attention to every detail, no back seams for a wedgie-free experience that never rides up, super comfy, silky smooth waistbands that never roll down, Wherever you fall on the size, shape, or this is me spectrum from Tomboy X, it's underwear that your body will love. And with their love at first wear guarantee, you can order risk-free while you find your perfect fit. I love the style and fit of Tomboy X. They have amazing prints and a plethora of different products that are sure to satisfy whatever it is you're into. Discover your inner Tomboy and let me get you started with my special discount. Go to TomboyX.com, enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, to get an extra 20% off. That's an extra 20% off when you enter code DAILYBEANS at TomboyX.com. TomboyX.com. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And as you know, I used to have sleep problems that plagued me for a very long time. It was real and the struggle was tough. I, I, would, I, I couldn't fall asleep or stay asleep. I would toss and turn all night. I thought it was anxiety and stress and that was part of it, but it turns out I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. And then Helix Sleep came to the rescue. They have a two-minute online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. They matched me with the perfect mattress, the Helix Midnight, because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm bed. And it is a total head and shoulders upgrade from my old mattress. I could never go back. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup now has 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, even have a mattress just for kids. It was designed for kids 3 to 12 years old, and it's been awarded Best Mattress Winner by Parents Magazine. 
Now, Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. And that's why they have a 100 sleep risk-free trial. Try your new Helix mattress. See how your body adjusts. If you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. It even ships out to you for free. It's easy to put together and you don't have to have tools or anything. You just, boop, there it is. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, Halloween photos, pod pet pics, an adoptable pet in your area, you want to give a shout out to somebody in your life that's awesome, anything you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Scott, pronouns he and him. Hello, my favorite most necessary podcasters. Hello. Hello. I was first introduced to the Daily Beans via the Midas Touch podcast. I haven't stopped listening since. Thank you, Scott. I adjust my playlist to make sure that I listen to five-minute news, followed by the beans every morning, usually while on a run. Everything about the podcast is incredible, from the songs, which I lip-sync to, to the intelligent breakdown of the news, to the outright joy and the laughs of the good news, which I also lip-sync to near, 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 good news, good news. For the record, I do listen at 1.75 speed, so if I ever met you in person, it would be strange for everything would feel very slow. I was on vacation recently and just got through the backlog. While on vacation, I wore my new favorite shirt. Attached is a pic, which I call Crimes and Crimes and Crimes and Limes. The drink is a Hemingway mojito, which made this email more important to write because of the latest episode, The Power of Mojitos. There you go. (laughs) I also want to brag about my kids, technically adult children, but that has a negative connotation. So now, so (laughs) so they're still my kids. Yeah, we all call them the adult children. And everyone's like, I don't want to use that phrase anymore. For years, even before I was in college, I always stood by my opinion that the two most underappreciated and underpaid professions are teachers and nurses. As a society, we should do more for them. Well, my fraternal twin boys made their individual choices and are graduates and now full-time employees as what? A nurse and a music teacher. Nice. I couldn't be more proud of them, but with the inside baseball I get from them, my opinion still holds true. They are underpaid and underappreciated. Maybe things will get better the longer they are in their respective fields. We can only hope. Thanks again for all you do. Mornings are always better with the beans. Scott, he, him. Also attached is a pet pick of Tucker. He made it to 16. He's now been gone for nine years, but I'll always remain my favorite dog of all time. This is great. Look at this. Yes, crimes and crimes and crimes and limes. I love it. Oh, Tucker, look at the football. So, uh, oh my God. I know. Dog. So cute. Thank you for that so much. Thank I you. I really appreciate that. I know. This next one's from Pam, pronouns she and her. Just want to say great big thank you for keeping up on the news. I listen every day. Keep up the swearing and the laughing. I work a very stressful job full of trauma and sadness. It's been so helpful to get an unexpected giggle or belly laugh when I least expect it. I want to share our newest foster dog. We've been fostering dogs for about two years now. Dolly's our 12th love bug. She's a chihuahua, 14 and a half pounds, eight or nine years old, and gets along with other dogs. If anyone out there is looking for a loving cuddle bug, then she's your girl. Her favorite pastime is sitting on your lap and following you around wherever you go. She is house trained. Dolly's deaf, but that does not set her back in any way. We're in the Pacific Northwest, Portland, Vancouver area. We foster for the Underdogs Rock Rescue. 
if interested in <laughs> stop it we had to edit something out because i'm a dork that's why ag's laughing we're gonna keep moving and interested in meeting dolly or any other adoptable dogs oh they they may please go to <laughs> jesus underdogsrock.org underdogsrock.org thank you again for what you do oh my god look how beautiful underdogs this- rock i got this look baby Oh, I, from face. the first picture, I thought I thought the dog was much bigger. Me too. And then you get to, and it's a tiny. This is like a small, large dog. This it's looks adorable. like adorable. Yeah, like a dog that has like, honey, I shrunk the dog. Right, <laughs> it totally does. This is so cute. <laughs> oh man, adorable. Okay, so what's that? Underdogsrock.org. Okay, cool. Pacific Northwest, Vancouver, Portland. Was that right? Portland, Vancouver. Looking, looking. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Awesome. All right, next up from Joshua. I'm on vacation, car camping along Pismo Beach, Oceano Dunes, with my ride-or-die dog named Millie, and I'm listening to the pod. I never do the message us thing, but figured why not? You gave your dad a shout-out on his birthday, and today just happens to be my 39th trip around the sun. I've already shed a few tears, thinking of the memory of my dad. He and his cancer were the reason I moved back to San Diego and adopted Millie. Uh, I've been a listener since MSW was first launched. Thanks for giving space for swearing, social justice, and seeing the truth come to light. I really appreciated the comfort you've provided in such calamitous times in democracy. And because you asked for dog photos, here's some of us now. The marine layer rolls in and some of Millie from a sunnier day in Big Sur, where we actually are headed on my next trip. And I'm missing some photos here, I think. I think so, too. Um, so we'll find out from the producer where those went. We'll make sure that they uh, get into the show notes for patrons. But thank you. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for writing in. Absolutely. This next one's from Jody. Pronouns she and her. Hello, my lovely friends. In my ears, longtime listener, second time writer, living in the counted out state of Kentucky. Hmm. I'm writing to you during a quick break while I hem a massive pile of my daughter's high school marching band pants. Whoop, whoop. Hmm. My good news is that our formerly high-ranking program is on its way back from a series of unfortunate events, including dispassionate directors and COVID. Band programs suffered so much during COVID times. Zoom Hmm. classes for beginning students, anyone? Not easy, even for committed musicians. We were blessed to have a new director start in 2019, and this year, the show he has created, along with the culture he has changed and nurtured despite so many obstacles, has the entire program, including the families, absolutely ecstatic. The program's growing. We have a ton of new kiddos and not just seventh, eighth, or freshman players. Hence the pile of pants I'm hemming. A sixth grade (laughs) band class, over 60 kids. And as a former band geek myself, this makes my soul happy. As the president of the Boosters, making my husband first gentleman, it brings me hope for the future of this program. Sinking a new marcher show up the band camp is a Say Her Name Brianna Taylor t-shirt. That's awesome. Gave me activist, liberal, stuck in a red county, in a red state self, a huge dose of optimism for the future of this county, state, and country. That's nice. awesome. A new marcher walking in with Say Your Name, Brianna Taylor. In related news, please, for the love of goddess, help us out here in Kentucky by supporting our most progressive, most genuine history-making candidate in Charles Booker. I love Charles, by the way. Yeah. I know a lot of people got burnt by Amy McGrath, DNC corporate picked candidates will not make it across Kentucky. But Charles is different. Please give him a chance. Full disclosure that I'm currently a volunteer admin on one of his regional Facebook groups, but only because I have full faith and hope in his vision of Kentucky and Kentuckians. For pod pet tax, attached you'll see our rescue dog, Archie. Feel free to guess, won't be difficult even if it's technically unknown. For the buried lead, 
Oh. For the buried lead, good news in podkit tax. My youngest, who is nine years old and a nine-year cancer a nine-year cancer survivor. Neuroblastoma surgically removed when he was eight and a half weeks old. Holy shit, you go. Look at this kid. Oh my God. I love that picture. And that's awesome. This dog is super sweet. I don't that is a great photo. Yeah, I can't guess this dog either. Maybe a lab great mass, not great mass, a Pyrenees, a lab Pyrenees mix. Maybe. Ciao. Dude, there's ciao, ciao. Ciao. <laughs> For sure. Oh, my adorable God. Dog and, and that adorable boy, player. I am so glad. Look at that. I mean, eight and a half weeks old, thriving, not just surviving, thriving. I love this kid. Yeah. yeah a neuroblastoma. That's a tough one, too. This is so, what a little warrior, right? Love it. Fuck. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, absolutely love Charles Booker. I'm going to see if I, I, I think we've tried to reach out. He's a pretty busy fella. We should definitely try to get him on in a Flip It Blue segment. Thank you, everyone, for all of these. And I'm so glad that uh, you got your crimes and crimes and crimes and limes, Scott. That looks great. And all these doggos are just adorable. That one puppy from Pam, the foster dog in the Pacific Northwest at underdogsrock.org. Is this such a, it's, just, it's like a, it's a big dog that in a tiny package is so cool. It really is. <laughs> all of these are fantastic, but that dog does. You ever see that baby? You're like, that looks like an old man, but a baby. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> totally. Uh, thank you for sending everything. And if you have anything you want to share with us, you can do so at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? I don't. Let's get out of here. Let's move on past hump day and let's keep it going. Yep. Yep. Because then it's Thursday and then it's almost Friday. And yes. really everyone who lives in California knows that Thursday is Friday. Basically. All right, everybody. Until then, <laughs> until Thursday, Friday. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And for the love of goddess, take someone with you. <laughs> I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.